We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City on June 4th. We are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest and then the final event the behind the bangs writing workshop i finally did it put it together put together this workshop because i wrote this book in many ways for younger me and younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught i wanted the gyms i wanted i wanted the knowledge i wanted the education that's what i would have wanted so i've decided i'm doing it and in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn 15 years in my 15 year career as a tv writer and author and blah 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 all the other things i've written there are six things that i always use and all of those are in this workshop so if you have an interest in writing sign up all the ticket links are live today click the show notes click my instagram we are coming to a city near you and there's going to be some meet and greets i'll sign some copies of books we'll give out more books and i have uh, some pieces of merch that i'm taking on the road and i'm gonna give them out at the shows Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass female celebrities who have been torn down by tabloids, dissected by social media, and faced heartaches and triumphs and come out of it all even stronger. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a writer, comedian, and filmmaker. And this week, we are book clubbing Cicely Tyson's memoir, written and published in January 2021. It it came out a month ago. And days after this memoir was published, Cicely Tyson passed away at 96 years old. She gave us so much in her life, including giving us her story. And so we are ringing in Women's History Month with her book, which could truly be a historical textbook taught in schools. And I just really want to celebrate her in this episode and her 96 years. And the book is so wonderful, not to mention it's a very compelling piece of art that uh, will make you want to go vegan. So keep that in mind. White man, white woman, black man, black woman on the rungs. Mm -hmm. And we're holding on to the last rung. Mm -hmm. And those, see these, Mm -hmm. are being trampled on by all those three above. And still we hold on. Okay? That's our strength. That's the reason we survive. Because we will not let go of that wrong. Wow. I get that.
That was Cicely Tyson speaking to Gail King in 2015 when she was 90 years old. We're going to get into everything in her life and career and all that she gave back to us. But first, I want to introduce my guest. My guest today is the illustrious Haley Marie Norman. Hi, Haley. Hi, Chelsea. Oh, I am so excited to have you on. Haley is an actress, writer, creator. You've seen her in Adam Ruins Everything, Chris Rock's Top 5, Hancock, Comedy Bang Bang, and the upcoming Netflix series, The Upshaws. She was also, this is my favorite credit, she was a model on Deal or No Deal and co-hosted the show. And you kind of single-handedly brought wearing your hair natural as a Black woman to that show, right? I did, which was amazing. I got so many like fan letters of people being like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen anyone wear their natural hair on television. And it became, they did a whole episode of my hair called The Fro Show. So I always just like to like give a big up to the producers and the network NBC for being all about like supporting my natural hair journey. Because now it's like you turn on the TV and every commercial or tell someone's got natural hair, but that wasn't the case back in the day. And Cicely Tyson's book really meant a lot to me, not to spoiler alert, but she was the first black woman ever to wear their natural hair on television, which I've, cause I've always been like, okay, obviously I wasn't the first, but this wasn't a thing. Who was the first? And so it was just such a cool bonus for me to realize, damn, Cicely Tyson was the first black woman to ever wear their natural hair on television. And just like, wow. I like, know. good and for her, dude. I, yeah, which I loved. So, okay, I, I loved this book for many reasons, but also I knew I was doing the book with Haley, and there were, like, four four to five major events in this book that are also major events in Haley's life. And as I was reading it, I was texting her, and I was like, this is so cosmic, because I didn't, you know, I didn't know certain things about her, including, um, another spoiler alert, she's vegan, and Haley is also vegan. And so when I got to that part of the book, I was like, oh my god, um, you know, I didn't know Cicely was vegan. And yeah, so I'm really excited to be doing this book with you. And um, her being vegan plays into our story of how we first met each other. And that is how I introduce all my guests. So so jump in. You can tell the story with me. But Haley and I first met when a friend created like a big hangout to go to an art museum and just a bunch of random people went. And afterwards, we went and got brunch at a place that w- wasn't so great. And I yeah. just, <laughs> I accidentally was sat across from Haley and Haley wears a necklace, a gold necklace with the word vegetables on it. Oh my gosh, you have <laughs> such a good memory. Well, I forgot it really that it was stood really- out. Yes. Well, and also I wear a gold necklace with the word fuck off on it. So <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I recognize someone's theme when they're presenting it. But yeah, vegetables <laughs> was just so funny to me. And there was no vegetables at the restaurant we were there was at. No, there was yeah, none. You, you could not get a vegan meal. Like she, she ordered something weird, like three beets and like a <laughs> carrot if you have it from the back. Like something, and, and then they didn't With even bring it reduction. Yeah, balsamic <laughs> reduction. And so we were sitting across from each other and I was like, what is this necklace? And then somehow Haley and I end up talking about the deepest shit ever, including like visions and dreams and reincarnations, which is also in Cicely's book and like being an intuitive. And then the whole table just kind of stopped and listened to me and Haley because we were telling psychotic stories to each other and we didn't even care. We were like, whatever. We're fr-. And, and then, yeah, we stayed good friends off of that like one brunch meeting. 
And what's so, what I love so much about this is that, so that, so I have this story where I had this really, yes, I'm so, so glad I, you're going to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I actually wasn't going to tell it. Like when I knew I was doing this podcast before I had read Cicely's book and I knew that you introduced everybody by talking about how you met them. And I was like, I can't, we can't say the full story in the full conversation because I don't want people to leave this podcast being like, Haley's out of her mind. But then <laughs> Cicely talked about these dreams that she would have that would end up becoming true. And I was like, this was so meant to be. I, ha- I have to tell the story. Yes, I totally agree. Okay, I'm so excited. So Chelsea, you're also cosmic. And I get, and I must have intuitively picked up on that because I felt safe telling the story, which I, I up until right now hadn't told very many people, which is that, um, so I've always been like an animal person, but I was never particularly a cat person because I'm allergic. I had a really mean cat growing up. But like they were, you know, yeah, I just was kind of like cats or whatever. You know, I'm a dog person. You can't be both, right? (laughs) You have to pick one on your tender profile. So I had this really vivid dream one night that I adopted this white cat that had these kind of tan spots on her and a purple neck a pur- and purple around her neck all and I in my dream I just kept being and she had purple around her neck she had purple around her neck and I woke up and the half of the day went by and I was working on a a new a CBS sitcom at the time called Living Biblically and I think my call time was like two or three in the afternoon I had a late call time and um so around one o'clock I'm getting ready and I still can't shake this dream so I told my husband I was like I can't stop thinking that about this dream that I had last night where we adopted this white cat that had like tan and purple around its neck and he was like oh interesting we went on with our days I show up to set obviously the prop person had brought in this cat so I go to the rehearsal the first thing I see is this cat and at this point I'm not even putting two and two together she's this little kitten and I'm petting her and and all of a sudden, it starts to dawn on me, like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I, it's, this is funny. I had this dream last night that I adopted this cat that looked just like this, but she had purple on her neck. And the prop, the prop master lifted up my cat's fur, and she had the same purple collar on. Oh and my I, god! I, yes, and my husband and I already have two dogs. We did not need another animal. We weren't looking for one, but I called him, and we were both so like hit by this happening that um he was like yeah bring the cat home and i was just i was just guest starring on it for the week so it was like cameron manheim and all these people also wanted the cat but his words started getting out. Haley had this dream. And Cameron Manheim was like, you had the dream. This cat is yours. And so over all the series regulars who should have had like was first like, dibs. Everyone wanted the cat. <laughs> everyone wanted the cat. And I just, I remember going into my dressing room and being like, if, the, if she's meant to be my cat, she will be. And she is. She's my soul sister, my daughter, my dog reincarnated, a million other things that I now no longer feel uh, crazy telling that story to people because Cicely Tyson is right there with me. And if Cicely does it, honey, then so can I. Then so can you. Also, yeah, that was the part. I remember when the whole table stopped and looked at us was when Haley was like, and the cat is my dog reincarnated. <laughs> everyone stopped and looked at us. And I, you know, I, yeah, I have a very, uh, I come from like hippie trash and um, trash said lovingly, beautifully. I honor it. I'm proud of it. Um, but yeah, so I was like, yes, absolutely. Your dog is your fucking cat. Like, no, for sure. Um, and I, I, yeah, you have to be... Here's what I okay. Here's what I want to say about this. The New Age movement has always been co-opted by freaks, <laughs> just freaks, and and I'm I'm saying that in the negative way. Like there's a lot of <laughs> bad 
bad actors, weirdos, lost people who finds the new age language uh, something that they want to be a part of. And it taints it for everyone else because we are to think that the human brain can have a dream and a vision and that in any way it could occur the next morning. How can we not pay attention to that? I mean, come on. Listen, there is a lot to be said for intuition and this spiritual experience that we're having on this realm called Earth, honey. It's called Earth, honey. Me and (laughs) Haley's cult will be very good to women and inclusive. Come and join. (laughs) Yes. One of my, okay, I just want to say one of my favorite memories of Chelsea, it must have been like the, maybe the fourth time we hung out. We were still new friends. We were hanging out with our friend Akilah at our friend Adrian's house. And I just remember all of a sudden you just putting your arms up in the air and being like, I am a witch. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's my girl. Like this is this is gonna be a, a long and fruitful friendship. <laughs> <laughs> you meant it. You were like, I am a witch. <laughs> yeah, okay, but here's here I think we need some context. <laughs> I just feel like we to, to keep this in the podcast, we have to say we were drinking wine. And then I, I distinctly remember someone saying something to me. I think I was dressed in like all black that night, possibly wearing black. I don't know. Someone said something to me. And then I was like, yes, I'm a witch. <laughs> wow. I sound terrible to invite to a party. Don't invite me to your parties. No, um, it was it was the highlight of everyone's night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bless. Thank you. And you know, I don't think Sisley is on board with witches, but she is on board with intuition and stuff. So before we dive into the episode, we have to talk about her ghostwriter, Michelle Burford, who I, I think I'm saying that last name right. Um, there was a piece in the New York Times about her. She just seems so cool. She really talks about capturing someone else's voice. She also wrote Alicia Keys' book. And she spoke about how don't call her a ghostwriter, call her a collaborator, and how how important the job of ghostwriting is like uh she spoke about how you have to be someone's therapist which is what another ghostwriter casey st Ange, who was a guest on this podcast also said you have to really be someone's life guide to help them tell their story and she writes her own books also from her website of of what she of her skills she wrote i can also keep a celeb author sane during the editorial process and get along with almost anyone malbec helps I was like, I love this woman. Favorite ghostwriter yet. She did such an incredible job because there were so many little like phrases throughout um, that I was like, oh, I know that this this is Cicely's voice. This is Cicely's voice. And Michelle kept those little idioms, I feel, I think is the word. Yeah, she tonally, you really hear Cicely in the book. And not all memoir, especially memoir titles, not all of them really carry through the book. You know, sometimes they're just a pretty cover. The title, Just As I Am, is a pretty vague title, I thought. However, mm-hmm. it is so apt for this book. I, The tone of this book is, is exactly the words, Just As I Am. Like, no more, no less. It is a very precise book with no spin, no coddling, no exaggerating, and it kind of has this, like, it is what it is. Like, this is what it is. This is my life, just as I am. So as I was reading the book, I'd be like, okay, just as I am, just as I am. Like, it really came through in the book. It's perfect. And it's it was it's also part of her favorite um, Bible verse. And Cicely yes. is a church lady through and through, honey. Yes, she's full. And you know what? I always, uh, so I talked about in Sheila E's book, her faith 
in her book, when she shared her Christianity, <laughs> really scared me. Um, <laughs> the woman who's like, I'm a witch. I was like, ah, <laughs> um, uh, the devil's coming for me. In Cicely's book, when she speaks better faith, I felt honored. I felt empowered. I felt drawn towards it. I just felt like her faith was so beautiful. And I loved the way she shared it in the book. I also think her book should replace history books in school. Hear me oh, out. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like, it is such a, not only is it a history lesson taking you through the events, but I think more importantly to people's learning, the feelings that come from the events, how your specific life is impacted, how racism affected her mom's life as a domestic houseworker, as she calls her, which then impacts uh, impacts Sicily and her marriages and her whole life. But meanwhile, you're also checking in on like MLK's death and JFK and seeing history really shaping a singular woman. I just felt, I just felt like it's the, it's just a way better education than whatever textbook was created by, I don't know. I wanted to say dumbass, but I'm sure he's very smart. No, absolutely. I felt the same way. I felt like I was getting a like a, a, a glimpse not only into Sicily, but also the time periods that helped shape her, which are which were obviously so important. And one of the things that I really loved was um, she didn't cut like she didn't mince her words when it came to talking about like white people and talking yeah. about racism. Yes. Like um, she was very candid in those stories, which I really appreciated. Like she kept this book so true to herself and her stories without wondering what the audience would feel. Yes. So she she talked about like white people and racism in a very candid way. But I one of my favorite things is I love words. I just love words. And they use a lot of like uh, big words yes. in this book <laughs> that I, I haven't found in other celebrity memoirs that kind of want to make the book accessible to everyone. And Cicely didn't worry about being accessible to everyone. She wants you to rise up to her level in this book, just like I feel like she wanted in life. And so I'm someone, I, I can't remember the last time I had to look up a word's definition, but it happened at least two or three times in this book. And I was like, yes, honey, teach me a new word. Yes. 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 And you're so right. Again, like that's that title, like just as I am. But yeah, she does not mince her words and she does not apologize. It was really, that's the kind of memoir you want. Like, don't pretend you're someone else, like be who you are. And I love it. Um, I want to read a little passage that, that kind of gives over why I think this should be a history book. This should be a history book taught in schools. And then Mariah Carey's book should be a modern application of, <laughs> of, <laughs> of what we learn from Sisley's book. That's, this is my takeaway. Okay, so she's talking about George Floyd because Cicely lived this whole span and watched everything happen this summer. And so that's in her book. And then she says, turning a blind eye to our history has not saved us from its consequences. My early years played out during these two wildly different decades. The first, a cultural resurrection, and the next, a painful reckoning. In 1939, during the last days of the Depression, Billie Holiday stepped bravely up to a microphone at Cafe Society in New York's Greenwich Village and sang, for the first time, Strange Fruit, a lyrical protest anthem. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root, black bodies swinging from the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. A bitter crop battered and dropping the bruised and blood-stayed carcass of the other America. The nation's shifting times paralleled a spirit of change in our house. So... Yeah, I just feel like that kind of wraps up like 
how it's affecting people's personal lives, but then also the exact history of the protest anthem and the events there. I just thought it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And the timing of this book is just was just so perfect because she talks about how people had been stressing her to write a book for a while, but she didn't think she had a story to tell. And then finally, she compares it to this idea of a Christmas tree, like she's taking off all the ornaments and just telling like her roots, her true story of this tree. And so the timing that she decided to tell this story was perfect because, like you said, she was able to touch on, you know, the this the uprising this past summer and 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 George Floyd and everything that was happening and the Black Lives Matter movement. And so to be able to talk about it from MLK's death until now, really, I just thought was so poignant, these two kind of bookends. Yeah, I totally agree. It's so impactful. And also, okay, sorry, I feel like I'm talking about The Bachelor a lot, but the current season is going on right now, you guys, and I'm I'm always watching the show. It's sick. Anyways, um, Chris Harrison recently defended one of the contestants saying like, You know, in in 2018, basically, she didn't know that racism existed. And in 2020 is when we hold people accountable, which is whatever, fucking psychotic. However, when you read a book like this, it's very clear uh, how ridiculous a point like that is of like, this has actually been happening for hundreds of years. Forever. Forever. It is people who think... George Floyd is is somehow the first time people have, people have always been aware and they push it down and it goes in cycles. And it's it's just so crazy that anyone could think in 2020 is when we recognize this because MLK was truly was murdered. You know, that's you MLK know, if, if you couldn't yes. recognize it before then, which would be also psychotic, you can recognize it then. You know, that's just so many years ago. And to watch her live through all these events and all these cycles and still be in the place where we have not created equality um, right. was heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just total cognitive dissonance, and yeah, you know, a it's willful, really sad that it, willful it, ignorance, it, willful <laughs> ignorance, willful. It's willful ignorance. That's a better word for it. And it's it's insane that it took a pandemic where people were stuck at home to to pay attention because this has been happening, um, you know, since they brought us over on ships, you know. Yeah. Um, it was that was that time was so funny for me. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to like go off on a tangent. I don't know if you're going to use this in the podcast, but it was so interesting to me because I had so many people reaching out to me, being like, "I like I didn't realize, or I I can't believe this is still happening." Kind of like these Chris Chris Harrison type comments, and I'm like, "You've told me that your grandma is racist." Like every one of my white friends has a family member that's racist, and yet you didn't realize racism was still happening. It's in your own family. (laughs) Also, you're really not listening to me because I tell you the things that happen to me all the time because I'm a black woman. And wow, wow, it took took a huge worldwide movement to open your eyes. I, yeah, we're on a text thread and with my other friends, we're all, it's this very weird phenomenon where people are like, people sent me like wine and like fruit baskets today. I got and so it, many Venmos, so many Venmos. And listen, I'm not mad at it. Uh, listen, I, know. I, bought, I, t- I bought myself lunch many times during that. I needed it, okay? <laughs> I know, I know. It's just so, oh God, that it's just a whole other podcast that's, uh, we won't be able to get into this book, but like, <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, but that is, that is the takeaway. People were so under a rock that in Haley's own life, they felt so bad that they just Venmoed her money. <laughs> I mean, and again, we're not mad. And you can drop your Venmo in the comments of the podcast. Okay, so let's get into some of the events. 
So a huge event of Cicely's childhood and her family is that her mom is a very Christian woman. They're in a very Christian family, but her mm-hmm. father cheats on her mother. And there's rumors and, and gossip. And one day after church, her mom confronts the woman and she says, leave me and my family alone because she can't get her husband to stop um, cheating. So she thinks I'm going to go to the mistress and say, get the fuck away from us. Then Cicely's brother being like, we got to defend mom against the lady ruining our home, picks up a rock, stones the woman. (laughs) It's a stoning (laughs) event outside of church, throws the rock at her. It comes into a brawl where like, Suddenly, Sisley's mom is like beating this woman's ass. They're they're fighting outside the church. The kids are involved with pebbles, and um, I I was just like cheering her mom on. And I know that's like you know this is a feminist podcast. We support all women. You know we support the mistress too. Do we? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> and it's mostly her husband's fault. But when she's like, yeah, my mom beat her ass outside of church. I was like, good. You know. Well, Sisley also realized that she was named after a woman that her dad had feelings for. So she <sighs> I, she was raised being told that she was named after someone else. I can't remember who it was. And then she went to a social event with her dad sometime later. And there was a, a woman named Cicely there. And her dad was like, that's who you're named after. And she realized that they had a thing. And she went home and um, and told her mom. But can we talk about how Yeah. I was going to say can we talk about how her mom handled the separation because it was a badass. It was so badass. And by the way, her mom doesn't leave her dad because he cheated on her. She still is sticking with it until her dad throws a violent fit in the home and like breaks all their things and screams and yells and is drunk. Then her mom decides this is it. And right. tell, us, tell us what she does. Okay, so I, I want to say one thing. So like before the dad's violent fit, they didn't particularly live in a violent house and the cheating and the, these extramarital affairs were happening, but they weren't really discussed. So it wasn't that she lived in a peaceful house, but she lived, there's, there's like that saying, I can't remember it, but it's like the absence of, it was like quiet, but yeah, it wasn't yeah. true peace because there was that tension. Yes. And you texted me something like there's an icy silence to her family. And that sometimes resurfaces in Cicely's personality of just like, yes, we're holding it together, but we're holding the pain inside. We're just not showing it to you, but it's there. Yeah. Her family didn't fully discuss a lot of things, which is I can just identify with a lot, too. But the story of how her mom left her dad was so incredible. She took Cicely, her brother and her sister, down to a cart that the dad had been working at selling selling food. It was the dad's boss, the only person she could think of to leave the kids with. And she just takes him there. She doesn't tell him what she's going to do. And she leaves. While she's gone, she was moving the entire house while her kids were gone. Got a new apartment. By herself. She had saved up money. She knew that her husband thought that the money was in the drawer, but she was also hiding more money in the mattress. So she took her mattress money, got a new apartment, which you know is so hard to do for a black woman during this time. In in the same day. In the same exact day, an apartment that she can afford gets the people from church to help her move, which was cool that the church people supported her and and did that because at this point that fight had happened, came and got the kids and said, we have a new home. And that's how they moved. Yeah, it's so incredible. And I've 
Um, also been a part of some fleas from men where it's like, we gotta, we're going to move the whole house in a day, you know? And me too. Yeah. Yeah. I know you have. We, Haley and I have bonded a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We have more in common than we'd like. Than we think. Um, yeah. And it was so cool being like, her mom's like, I'm just, I'm just taking care of it and I'm going to move a mountain today. Yeah. Her mom's so cool and so strong, but her mom is also, because she has to be like very controlling, very protective. Sicily is kind of like a thinner, kind of sickly kid. Her mom's always watching over her. And her mom also sends Sicily's first love away. She like, you know, teenage love likes this guy. And she's like, you can't talk to him anymore. So Sicily introduces the guy to her friend. They're now married. They have a happy life. And it's so sad because Cicely wonders, like, what if I had not done that? Could I have had this great life with this guy? But my mom said no and and that she had to be with a pastor's son. That's what her mom right. always wanted because she was very into church. And so she is introduced to this guy. And Haley, tell us, do you want to tell us the story of the virginity and then what happens next? It was one of the most, this story, yes, I'll tell you what happens and then I'll tell you my take on it. So, Sicily is dating this guy that they're just together because it's what her mom wants and it looks nice on the outside, but she never has the real feelings for him. Meanwhile, she's never had a significant conversation with her mother about the birds and the bees, aka getting laid. So she doesn't know that sex is a thing. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't understand uh, periods. The first time she woke up bleeding, like, or the first time she had her period, she was actually still sleeping and her mom saw the blood and just was like, here, put these on. And so Cicely also spent a lot of time thinking that she was going to die until the period, you know, kept coming back and she didn't die. And she was like, what is this? She didn't even yeah. understand and what just her period no was. And no one discusses it. No one discusses anything. No one discusses anything. it. No one discusses anything. And so she's dating this guy. She goes over to his house. Um, and he was a nice guy. Like he, yeah. he, he was a nice guy. Um, but she's like, I have to go home now. And he asks her to stay and then makes a physical, uh, advance. And she just kind of lets it happen, but they're standing up against the door. And, uh, she noticed something weird, maybe something a little wet and got freaked out and left. Um, and she doesn't and know if she had sex or not. On the bus ride home, she's sitting there going, what just happened? I know it wasn't sex because I don't even really know what sex is. And we were standing up. That's what yeah. she kept saying. Is, she kept saying like ha- sex happens when you're laying down. So sex I knew happens I didn't when you're sex. laying down. So she thought that she did not have sex. She ended up getting pregnant. And it just broke my heart for like the young, innocent girls were all worldwide worldwide from yes. all time who yes. haven't been properly educated on our reproductive system, who have guys kind of make, you know, t- take advances with us without our full consent where we just kind of don't say anything because we don't understand what's happening and it doesn't feel right, but we're like, don't know enough to stop to, it or are yeah. in our power or scared, whatever, whatever. There's myriad reasons. And, um, it was just truly, truly heartbreaking. And so Cicely became a young mom. She was in high school. And, and they uh, don't let her graduate. Because they don't she, let yeah, her graduate. she hides her pregnancy. And then the principal, like through gossip, gets a hold of a 
a baby shower christianing it was a christianing invitation and it wasn't through gossip it was through like the cousin or the nephew of the of her dad's uh girl the the woman that they threw stones at it was someone in her family that's why i call it gossip (laughs) you know she did it on purpose (laughs) and she was like i'm getting this family back Yeah. yeah they're like are you pregnant she says yes and they say okay then you can't graduate a month from now are you, like, what rule was that? Like, mothers can't have degree? Like, I just don't understand what the rule was other than, it, you know, it's just all about shaming women. Then her mom Because it, it her, wasn't a religious school. It no. Was, this was just like a regular just school. Just a regular they school. Let her graduate. And they're like, you can't graduate because you're pregnant. And she says, okay, I knew this would happen. That's why I was fucking hiding it. Um, she, Cicely would not approve of me swearing on this podcast. I'll try and do it. <laughs> she would I'll, not. I will try not. and do it a little less on this one. I will fail. Um, so, <laughs> so her mom makes her marry the guy. Obviously, she's a good Christian woman. She gets married. She cries on her wedding day. She says it feels like- Not the f- good kind of tears. Not the good kind of tears. She says it feels like a funeral more than a wedding. And then after two years, she doesn't give a lot of details, but after two years, she has enough and she leaves him, which- I, she didn't go into it very much, but I thought that was one of the coolest parts because you know, she's Christian. You know, her mom is so Christian divorcing, leaving this man, becoming a single mom, absolutely not okay. And in the world frame of something that's a possibility. And she does it. She does it. And she does it pretty soon. Two years. I was really, I was like, yes, she's going to yeah, go she live chose her life. her own happiness. She yeah. Chose her, she yes. chose her own happiness. And she really just stepped out, which I think speaks so much to like her faith and her resilience that she's this single mom. And she's like, she knows that she's going to find a way to make it work for herself instead of staying in this unhappy marriage. And again, it wasn't unhappy because the guy was a terrible yeah, was like a nice person. Guy. She, she just, just didn't, didn't love, him. love him. Yeah. yeah. Which is also... Hugh, you know, I just don't love you. I'm just not happy. I'm going to leave. I just don't think at the time that was something we allowed women to do. And she's, she did it anyway. And okay, so yeah. then we get into the part about her daughter. This is the one part of the book that I felt I have complicated feelings about. So her daughter, Joan, um, you know, they live with Cicely's mom. And then at some point, she sends Joan to boarding school and pays for it by being a secretary during the day. And she's working all these jobs. And she sends Joan to boarding school because she didn't like trust her mom to care for Joan and needing, basically she didn't have any money. So to, in order to, um, to make their lives better, she has to send Joan away. So she has time to work so that they don't have to live with her mom. That said, I, it was heartbreaking when Joan is sent away and I, didn't fully understand why she couldn't be watched over by her mom, only that maybe she wasn't including something in the book that was way worse than that's actually in the book. What what was your take on that? Well, okay, so first of all, there's uh, her daughter's real name isn't Joan. I don't know if anyone knows what it is. It's just the moniker that she uses in no the book. No way. To pr- I didn't yeah, to, know that. Yeah, to Good protect her. her daughter's She says anonymity. it's none of your business. Yeah, and so I felt like, you know, being, you know, being a daughter of a celebrity can be really challenging for uh, several, for a lot of different reasons. And so there was a part of me that felt like, I wondered if, like, the fame and celebrity that Cicely ended up getting uh, had adverse effects on their relationship, or if it was like because she keeps Joan kind of cloaked in this secrecy. She doesn't men- she mentions her throughout the book, but not a lot. She doesn't. She never goes into detail. And I wonder, you know, what is their relationship actually like, or does she just keep her private because maybe they actually have a really close relationship, and she she knows it's what her daughter would want. 
But here, and here's what I think. At the end of the book, she says, I'm leaving space for Joan to tell her own story, which would, which overall would make me think she's just protecting her. However, there was one detail, and we'll get to it later, but when she marries Miles Davis, <laughs> um, when she marries Miles Davis, she doesn't tell Joan, and Joan is not there. And that's, for me, kind of, uh, I had a takeaway of I felt sad for Joan. I felt cold about their relationship and that Cicely, by doing what she had to do and sending her away, I think had dire effects. Because if you're not telling your daughter about your own wedding and your daughter's not at your wedding when you're 50 years old, something is amiss. Okay, good. I'm glad you cleared up her age there because I was like, there's no way that her daughter was still in boarding school when they got married. She she got married to um, um, Miles Davis like way later. So at this point, Cicely is like, or Joan is an adult. So Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, that is yeah, really and I, interesting. I think, I think being sent away, I mean, I'm, you know, when you're, even when your mom has to go to work and doesn't come to all your shit at school or, oh, I'm swearing. I I'm think Cicely has Cicely. had some guilt about it. I think oh, she yeah, I think she that. did. Yeah. She thought she it was did, the right choice. but it, She thought it was the right yeah. choice. Right. Okay. So then after she sends Joan away, she's still a secretary. This is how she gets into the business. It's so good. Someone, a man on the street says, excuse me, are you a model? And she says, no. How do I become one? Because And at this point, <laughs> she's over, she's like 30. She's 30. She's yeah. 30 years old. And he, this random dude who does not become a part of her career tells her, well, you're going to, you need to go to an agency. You need to take classes. You need to become a model. And she does. I will tell you this. Haley, is a real life model. She's been hired to model. <laughs> I at a mall once was approached by someone who said, "You, you could be a model." And I said, "Oh my god, I know. <laughs> Let's do it." And he said, "Great. It's fifty dollars. Sign up here with these other three hundred girls we found at the mall, and uh, we'll enroll you in our Utah modeling school." Oh my god! And thankfully, I was a smart enough kid to look in the mirror, realize I had a full ass scab covering my nose. Long story. And uh, was like, you know, I actually don't think I'm a model. I think they just want $50. And that was the end of my modeling. I don't know, Chelsea. I would love to see you on the cover of a catalog. Okay, honey. Oh, my God. I mean, listen, I'll put myself there any day, whether you want it or not. (laughs) I want it. Um, Happy to start my modeling career today. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So that's how she becomes a model. Then someone just, she fits a role. She looks like a role. And so they're trying to get her in to, mm. to act in this play. What I really love about Cicely and what's in the book is that she says no all the time, frequently and often. Like at every pivotal moment of here's something huge in her life that's gonna change her life. She says, I said no. I said, leave me alone, get away from me. Then finally, somehow I ended up at rehearsal. I read the script and they said, you're a brilliant actress. And that's how I became an actress. And I, as someone who has a huge problem saying no, I was blown away by that in the book. All the time she turned down these incredible things and then you know, realized it was her path. Like, I feel like I'm not allowed to say no to anything, especially in this business. You're made to feel like you're just so lucky. You're just so lucky to get like a little crumb. Like, how dare you be like, crumb's not for me. Well, uh, Cicely has the energy of someone who I say their parents loved them. Like I can always tell like when someone's <laughs> parents loved them because they they have yes. good boundaries. They carry themselves a certain way. I'm like, oh, okay. And um, so even though she had all this kind of strife in her childhood, her parents did really love her and they raised her to have self-respect. And it was that self-respect that, that really carried her through her entire life. And so that is such a good point. I just want to underline people. Yes. 
they have good boundaries. That is what comes away from Absolutely. a parent loving you. You have good boundaries. Good boundaries and you have self-worth. And so she didn't say no to these opportunities. I think, you know, she says that there was some anxiety there and she just didn't think, you know, that she could do it. But she didn't say no because she was like cowering in a corner or something. Like she said no because she had boundaries and self-worth and she didn't learn, she didn't know how to act. And frankly, because she just didn't have interest in it at the time. So with her no's were all always came from a pa- place of empowerment. And yes, that's how you know someone yes. parents loved them. <laughs> uh, by the way, is there something you need me to say yes to? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can be there. I can be there at 3 a.m. for $2. I'm already right. there. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Um, yeah, wow, that incredible. I could, that. there's a whole TED talk there. Um, but then she becomes an actress and she's incredible at it. And in a way, and I say this with love, all the best actors are really fucking annoying. They're so annoying, but it's what makes them so great. And so it's like, I have respect for it. And then, but then also, you know, uh, I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read it. Okay. So she's gotten the role of Jane Pittman. And she tells us the story of how she got the idea for Jane to have a grill. Then she said, (laughs) the hump came next as Jane Pittman made her presence known in me. I was up early one morning mopping my floor when suddenly my whole left side collapsed. I set aside the mop handle and thought, what's this? With my left side still caved in, I walked to the bathroom mirror and studied my reflection. I was hunched over with a large protruding onion at the very top of my back. Oh God, I got it, I thought. I've got the hump. By then, the CBS team had ordered a bodysuit with a hump built into it. You can send back the fake hump, I called my producer and told him. I've got a real one. My hump, an actual hump, not one I created by contorting my body, miraculously remains during all five weeks of filming and then just went away. So this woman is so method that one day her body develops a hump to play Jane Pittman and then it goes away after shooting. That is so incredible, powerful, respectful, and annoying. Like, how do actors do it? Well, listen, method acting is so controversial. And I and even though there's a lot to be said for how unhealthy psychologically it is, and also, yes, annoying, like you said, there's also this idea that, like, the method actors are the best and the real actors and, and really dive deep into the, into their characters. But we only give credit to, like, the Daniel Day Lewises and, like, these white men that we know are method actors and that we say are so brilliant. And I want to know why before this book did I not know that Cicely Tyson was a method actor? Like, why isn't she Great on that point. same list of people? And it's because yes. she's a black woman, because she's a black woman actress. That's why I, it took a book for me to realize that she was a method actor. And she actually used her method acting to, yes, develop a, a, a hump on her back for a role. Whereas I think a lot of white men, and I don't mean this about Daniel Day-Lewis, who I mentioned earlier, because I don't know enough about him to say this, but a lot of men use method acting to be pieces of shit. They use, me- yes. they use method acting to be abusive and to get away with it. Cicely did not do that. Whether she actually developed a hump or just, you know, 
slumped over and felt like it was the character speaking through her, I guess, I guess doesn't matter. But yeah, Viola Davis actually does the intro and talks about how she had met Cicely and they got along really well. And then Cicely shows up to set of how to get away with murder and just like brushes past her. And, and Viola, Viola Davis was like, wait, what does she, does she not like me? And realized, oh, she's, she's, she's recreating the dynamic that I have with my mom on this show. Yes, and and she's definitely when she's in character, she is not to be bothered. Sometimes for months, she will lock herself away and is like, "I am this character." Yeah, Such she kept multiple okay. of her own apartments throughout different yes. stages of her life. Yeah, yes. I want to officially retract my statement that Cicely in any way could be one of the annoying method actors. <laughs> she is now the only method actor that we recognize <laughs> and respect because. Yeah, you're right. Because what I was thinking of are those dudes who are like, I sent a dirty condom to her dressing room because that's what my character would do. Or I'm only speaking in my accent the whole time on set. Please address me as Mr. Jeffries. Right. Okay, I don't know what showing the fuck up that to accent set, was, but not showered. You haven't brushed your teeth. You're drunk. You're yes, late. Like, my character's dirty. Rude. Yes, yeah. yes, rude, rude, and annoying, and also very like. You know, Cicely's was just doing her thing. It didn't uh, it didn't inflict shit on other people through her method acting. Yes. And she never once men- mentions not showering. <laughs> yes. She did not shower for great, a role. She always smelled great. Good. Great point. And also, I just have a thing against method acting because I went to acting college. So oh, they would no, be like, we're insane. going to melt hot wax on your body to give you the semblance of being a tortured blah, blah. And you're like, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is fucking bullshit. Yeah, for me, um, acting is all about my, you know, imagination and the and the character you create. Maybe some substitution, but um, method acting is very controversial, and I think for good reasons, and also just not applicable in this. Like, imagine being a method actor in on a COVID set. Like, how would that even? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you have to be adaptable. Yeah, you're in a mask, and you're like, I am still British. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Playing, yeah. Um, my character would not get a COVID test. We're in 1920. Okay, yeah, that's a that's such a great point. Okay, so then Cicely meets Miles Davis for the first time. Mm. Now, this is not the time that leads to the marriage. That that's going to come later. And I love their meet cute because it really feels like it reflects her. She's walking uh, in the park, and he's on a bench, and he calls out to her, and he's kind of kind of like a little like, hey, come on over here. And she turns around and she says, aren't you married? And he says, uh, we're separated mostly, which which is a, a, a celebrity book club theme. This is your drinking game. Take your shot. A man has said, um, I'm separated from my wife mostly. It's okay for us to be together. But a difference is that in the other books, the women believe him. In this book, Cicely says, I haven't heard that and walks away. <laughs> Because at this so point, Miles was famous, and yes. Cicely wasn't at the peak of her fame, but she was start she was working and was gaining some recognition. So he knew yes. who she was. He was like, "Oh, he that's Cicely Tyson." Yeah, yeah. And also, what I love in this book, I love when there's a best friendship in the book. Um, Diane Carroll is her best friend, yes. and she knows of Miles Davis because Miles lives in Diane's building, and. Okay, so, so, oh, I want to talk about Miles Davis and Diane Carroll. I'm torn. Okay, Diane first. Okay. So she just loves Diane. She's throughout the book. And not only are they good friends, best friends. By the way, her book will be on this podcast at some point because my friend Lydia told me about it. But she also gives Diane 
her due in this book. And I want to read, I want to read her thing to her friend. During the years to follow, Diane carried on with her life and career, earning a Tony for No Strings, an Oscar nomination for Claudine, and a Golden Globe for her lead role in Julia, the 1968 sitcom that was the first to defy black female stereotypes on television. I'm not sure whether she ever got over Sydney, but through her portrayals and extraordinary six decades on the stage, the swellegant, elegant Diane Carroll surely spoke a resounding word. I mean... Just the coolest send up of your bestie. I remember that sentence because I was like, is swelligant a, a word? And if not, it needs to be like, it's just such a fun. Swelligant is so it's um what do they call it? a port port mandy port something, which is like a combination portmanteau. of two, port, portmanteau, which yeah, a combination of two words that make one. That's what she did with swelligant, right? Swell and elegant. Swell and elegant. Yeah. Swelligant elegant. And OK, so so then she does start dating Miles Davis who they're complete opposites. She's a good Christian girl. He is a a partying musician, does drugs, drinks, is known for being a womanizer, um, says the the F word a lot, like me. So (laughs) they're like a mismatched couple, but they get together and they become a power couple. Uh, And kind of one of, I want to say one of the first black celebrity power couples in Hollywood, where they were just known as this duo, there's some incredible photos that exist of them that I will post on my Instagram. But at some point, she has a dream. And in her dream, a woman with long hair down to her waist is cheating on, uh, is, is the mistress of Miles. And she is being cheated on. And she has this dream of this other woman is coming to take Miles. Then one day, there's a knock on the door about two years into their relationship. She opens the door, and there's a 19-year-old girl with long hair down to her waist, and she seems startled to see Cicely, and she knows immediately, this is the girl in my dream. She's been cheating with Miles, and she's come to take him away. And she breaks up with Miles, storms out. He chooses the woman over Cicely, and a month after she leaves him. His divorce is finally finalized and he marries the 19 year old girl and they are married. And that, okay, wait, hold on. I've got two things to interject. So his first wife, Miles Davis's first wife, I've actually met because she moved to Los Angeles and was working as a waitress at this, um, this, this restaurant that I, I don't know if it's still across the street from where Soho House is on Sunset Boulevard, but it's called like Hamburger ham like is is hamburger Hamlet a hamburger restaurant? Mary's? <laughs> it's not hamburger Mary's, but it's some sort of like it's not like the nicest chain. But this was one in, in on like the right between West Hollywood and Beverly Hills, and they were trying to make it nicer. And I ate there one time with an ex boyfriend of mine who was a huge Miles Davis fan, and he was like, "That's I think that's why he wanted to go there. Maybe he heard she worked there." And I remember running into her in the post office later in West Hollywood, and she was just talk about swellegant. She was really swellegant. Too. So that was his first wife. And then the woman that he ended up, and it was just so crazy. I, I like met her and had conversations with her. But yeah, the, it's so it's, wild. The woman that she has the vision of, which again, we, she talks about her visions a lot. That woman who ends up marrying him is Betty Davis. What? Yeah, wait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Google it. Hold on. Hold on. How do I make you not a full screen? Hold on. She's, 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 she's famous too. Hold on. Google it right now. Okay. So. So the first wife is the one I met, Frances Taylor Davis. So then he marries the, the Betty Davis. Okay, 
Hold on. No, no, Betty. Okay. Yes. Yes. Sorry. The Betty Davis I had in my head is a white, uh, black and white film star. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so when you said Betty Davis, I was like, what? Yeah. Um, he, he, he did not marry that Betty Davis. He married a different Betty Davis who was also, um, a big star, uh, but is a black woman and she was 19 and he was he was older than her. And a badass. Listen, even though she yeah. was the mistress, we are feminine. We love, we I love women. And I gotta say, you know, even though I can't co-sign her being someone's mistress, I wasn't there. And I will say that Betty Davis is a total badass in her own right. Okay, here's what I'll say. I didn't even... <laughs> Kudos to Cicely's book because she's just like, yeah, some bitch named Betty and he <laughs> married Betty and, you know, whatever. Betty's gone now. So I was just like, this is just some woman named Betty. <laughs> the fact that it's like never she's never like, no, it's that Betty Davis. Kudos to her. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's like she's a mistress. Then again, maybe she didn't know. Maybe she didn't know he was with Cicely. Feels hard. Feels like they were in the press. I don't no, know. She knew. I, she knew. She knew. She knew. I don't like it. Then I don't. I'm sorry. I know she's a badass. I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, I yeah, like no, I'm not. Yeah, listen, I, 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 it's, it's hard. It's hard. I've never been a mistress, and it's, yeah, it's not. It's not a great choice. It's not a choice I would ever make for myself. Um, yes, it's not a I will, I would ever I will also say this. I think my guess would be when you are the mistress, a lot of fucked up shits happening in, in your own life. Exactly. You, you, that is only a choice you're making when you what? Don't have good boundaries. Right. Mommy or daddy didn't love you. But I, I feel like a lot of times it's it's the guy, the man manipulating you. Like we talked about, like they say that they're going to leave the wife. Like we don't know. Like I don't want to judge Betty because we don't know what Miles told Betty about his relationship. Oh, yeah. And he was totally... I'm sure he was spinning a thing. God, Betty Davis. All right. Okay. With that, I think we should take a little break. But when we come back, Miles Davis is going to be back. Cicely's going to win a lot of awards. She's going to get real famous. We'll be back soon. Sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, 
Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, first off, welcome back because I want to record part of this conversation. We were just talking about how um, h- how there's so much in the book to talk about and we're at a place where we're just going to be skipping so much, but there's so much in this book. It's also a longer book. Oh, I want to give a shout out to you and me, okay? Because this book came out on January 26th. It is, today is February 18th. And this is a 408 page dense book. And what I'm telling you, I don't even think Gail King read the whole book. I don't think Gail King read the whole book, honey, but we did because <laughs> we show up and we show out for Celebrity Book Club. 100%. I also want to say the writing in this book is beautiful, but a way I would describe it is when faced with if you take the long road or the short road for a way to describe something, this book always chooses the long road. The scenic route. And it's a beautiful road, but they, they take the scenic route every sentence. There is not a short sentence in the book. Um, <laughs> yes, and we read it. And there's so much to talk about and we have to skip so much, which is such a bummer. But first, okay. So Cicely's career is now just uh, exploding. And also, you know, there aren't a lot of roles for black women. So she's really crushing it, but also is held back in the way of there's just not out a lot out there for her. So even at her peak, there's huge stretches where she doesn't work. Can I, can I interject she, one thing really fast? Yeah. So the, and the, the role that, uh, because the, the reason why she's crushing it right now in her career is because of Sounder, which was like her big breakout role that she was only paid $6,000 for. And she says that even in that time, it wasn't a lot of money. I mean, it is... Okay. Sounder is, yes, it's huge. Throughout her career, she takes roles for almost pennies because she's just so, you have to be so grateful, you know, and there's, there's not many roles out there and especially for black women. So she's like, fine, I'll do it. I'll do it for $6,000. Later in the book, she meets Tyler Perry, tells Mm. him how much she made for movies like Sounder and Roots and Jane Pittman and he pays her just shit tons of money every time she does anything on one of his projects to make up for all the time she was paid pennies, which, you know, isn't his job, isn't his duty, but it's still such a nice story because $6,000. It's such a beautiful gesture. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a beautiful gesture. It really warmed my heart, you know, their relationship and the fact that he would do that. But also I want to say too, like, it's not that she felt like she need to, needed to say yes to roles because there wasn't a lot because she said no to a lot of things. It was that she was so drawn to the character. She would get this. I think she said it was like a tingling in her spine or like her the hair on her arms would stand up. But there was some sort of physical sensation she would get. And so because she felt that she needed to, again, embody this role in, in her method way and that it was meant to be her, she would take the role even if the money was bad, which is just like as an actor myself and as a black female actor, like I could really identify identify with that. And it's such a shitty position to be in where it's like, 
you are not getting paid the same as your counterparts, but you love the role or you love the project so much that you want to do it, even though you know that you're not being paid your worth. And so it made me feel a little bit like less alone. Yeah, I totally, uh, I totally just really resonated with that. And it made me, it, it, it broke my heart a little bit, but also just that artistic spirit really warmed my heart where it's like, I got to play this part no matter what. Yeah, and you're call you're calling out something that happens. You know, we we read about this in Gabourey's book. Specifically, happens to Black women, where there's a lot of people who, for the artistic spirit, they do something for less. Da 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 da. But it, it is routine and systemic that Black women are asked to make that choice and paid pennies all the time. And you're right; she they, she's offered other roles, but they're not good roles, and they're not roles she wants in in her opinion. Oh, so yeah, she because, really oh. doesn't like. Yeah, she really doesn't like black exploitation films. Yes, we were going there. We were both thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, there's it, it that's her that is totally her opinion to have on it. She felt like those movies did harm to her culture more than good. I think other people could make um could could make a case for the opposite, but yeah. she doesn't want to do them. So she says no to them. She's I love the line she had in the book. Them. She mentioned multiple times about how she yes. thinks black exploitation films are are bad for the culture and the you know uh, the way black people are represented i i i would argue that they that these stories could coexist but again that's a different podcast yeah absolutely and and also um uh, the heart of it is that you weren't given enough options if if there was as many wh- white movies as black movies then okay whatever any genre you want you know you you should be able to express yourself however you want because there's so few genres now, all there's there's all this pressure on black exploitation films. Also, the films Sicily does are a lot of historical films and enacting slavery. And people will talk about you know how those are like white tears films. You know why right. are you re- reenacting these stories? So, but she does talk about how she's played a domestic a lot of times, several times, yes. and that her family would be like, why why can you never look? You know, we want to see you dressed up to the nines on screen and we want to see. But these were the roles that she was drawn to. And also the the uh, the stories that were just out there at the time. Do you remember? Yeah. Th- do you remember the part about where um, the she's doing the press, the press junket for Sounder? And the guy was like, so the, yeah. the guy was so surprised that the son the called the, the dad daddy. Because yeah. he was like, but that's a, a what white my journalist couldn't yeah. believe that a black child calls his father daddy. Because that's, that's how, what his own child called him. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because uh, that's the first story in the book of just like the level of racism she's endured her whole life. And there are other quote unquote more horrific stories in the book of racism, but that one's just such a poignant, did not think you could use the word daddy. That's how racist this person was and was so ignorant of his racism that he said it to Cicely's face. You know, it was just like, oh, I had no idea. Like, just that's how bad it was. And yeah, a lot of her movies, especially Roots, you just changed a lot of people and brought a lot of light to things people weren't talking about. I loved the line she said in the book where a a white female director offered her this role where she has like six kids by six different dads. And she says, absolutely not. And the woman says, why though? These women exist. I mean, my maid. And Cicely cuts her off and she says, uh, she's basically like, whatever foolery is about to come out of your mouth, like, don't bother. And she says, I'm not interested in that being a reality. I don't want to project it. I don't want to project it on screen. And I, I yeah, I just really resonated with that line of 
sure, things can be real or authentic or there was no, you know, maybe maybe that crowd scene was all men. Maybe all men are in the crowd scene at a baseball game. But I don't want to project that. So now a bunch of women watch baseball. Okay, you know, and that's just a hypothetical of my baseball movie that I'm talking (laughs) about. My fictional baseball movie that I'm writing. But basically, like, you don't have to stick to, well, this is what happens. What do you want to project into the world? Yeah, the stories that you choose to tell. Because there's a there's a million stories about the single black mom with a different child from every dad. Like we've seen and that exists and that's okay and it's allowed to. But there's so many other stories that haven't been told exactly. And she was totally. interested in telling those other stories. I loved that. Okay, so then okay, so we have to get back oh, Miles. towards Miles. Okay, so huge breakup with Miles. Through outer life, he'll try and contact her or she'll run into him when he's um, really drunk and kind of help him back to life, but mostly no contact. Yeah, and not just drunk, like on strung out on heroin. Like he, this strung guy was doing heroin. hard yeah. drugs. Yeah, hard drugs and really wrecking his body. Then one day she has like this vision of like I have to talk to Miles, and he calls her and he's begging her like, please, 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 please come over, please come over. And he's asked before and she said no, but this time she goes and sees him again, and he's basically on death's doorstep. He is so strung out on drugs and so wrecked that he's dying. And she very plainly says, Miles needed someone to care for him and she needed someone to care for. And so she gets back together with him and takes him to a Chinese doctor and all these places and single-handedly nurses him back to health. When he goes to see the doctor, the doctor says, you're gonna die in two weeks. Sisley says he's not tell me anything, anything, and basically puts him on the juice cleanse of a lifetime and all types of like tonics and tinctures and and nurses Miles back to health. And then he starts saying like, we need to get married. We need to get married. And she marries him after his whole ass marriage to Betty Davis after cheating on her. And keep in mind, this is her mom's story. Her mom is cheated on by her dad. It breaks up their family. It ruins her childhood. She feels her mom is disrespected. And now she is has been cheated on by Miles Davis, but also marries him. Yes. Can I say one thing that's like a, an insight? It's not everything. like a fact. Okay, good. Because I know we want to like, there's so much to cover. We want to move the facts. But I just want to say the way that she approached the Miles Davis relationship was so interesting to me because it almost seemed like she was in um, like Al-Anon, which for people who don't know is like a 12-step program for friends and family of alcoholics because she was so good at uh, at um, detaching with love. Like when Miles would be drunk or high or whatever, she would uh, leave. She would just wouldn't contact him, but she would still love him. And she would realize that this was a person that needed compassion. Whereas a lot of people, you want to be like, they're, they're a fucking drug addict. And why are they doing this to me? And blah, blah. But she always had this awareness that it had nothing to do with her she detached with love. That's just, you know, the phrase for it. So yeah. then it was really interesting when she decided to marry him. And she talks about how she realized that she wanted to, she needed to save someone and he needed saving. And I don't, I'm not clear if she realized that at the time or if it was she just didn't. like She said she only knows that in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. she re- she realizes yeah. that in hindsight. But it was just the way that she approached his addiction was again like everything Cicely does is so just like elevated and comes from a place of spiritual maturity and you know she dealt with his addiction in a way that just showed true spiritual maturity and speaks a lot to who she is and now honey I know we're going to talk about where they got married 
Yes, we are. Um, okay. <laughs> so, wow. Woo! So, okay, like I said, the title of the book, Just As I Am, she tells you what happens. And what happens is she gets married at Bill Cosby's house. At Bill Cosby's. And of all the things that she addresses in the book, which is everything, she never talked, like, she, never. I think she went to her great, like, she loved Bill, it sounded like through, like, she loved his wife, his wife. She yes, was a and big, she had yeah. no, you know, it's like, okay, if you, if you, uh, someone else who got married at Bill Cosby's house, went to write their book, might say like, okay, so <laughs> this was at Bill's house, you know, some things have happened, and, but I'm going to reflect on this day for what it was, and it was a great day for me, and yeah, we have a, but, but, you know, that's, that's a huge thing, and a huge thing to think about. That would be not going into it. Cicely does not even acknowledge it. She is not like, I went to Bill Cosby's house. He is great. Camille is He's great. A dear they are friend. great. The wedding yes. was great. The house is Love gorgeous. Him. She mentions them throughout the book multiple times and never addresses, only holds in highest regard, never mentions anything. Never mentions. And again, just as I am, she just she's just like, I, I'm Bill Cosby's friend. Which is so interesting because she's been the victim of sexual abuse, you know? Yeah. And that's a talk about spinoff podcasts. We could do a whole podcast on people who have been victims of abuse but can't recognize it in others Mm. or what to do when a man who's been an ally to you is uh, outed as a, you know, a perpetrator. I mean, right. (sighs) (laughs) But I think what also got me here is that Bill Cosby also really spoke out in his career against people who black exploitation films and swearing and other black artists who maybe made art in a way that he didn't feel was respectable. He went at those artists. And so I also think they share that in of like, what is a good Christian way to be and how and to be a, a black person. Black, yeah. Yes. Yeah. How yes. to be and a black how black person. people are supposed to be, which yeah. in America again, yeah. now there's another, how many podcasts? That's a seventh podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll co-host any of these with you. <laughs> Uh, I shouldn't be on most of them, but I will listen and, and love them. Um, but yeah, yeah. And I found their friendship. It's, you know, it's a fucking bummer. You're like, yes, Cicely, you do you. And you're like, oh, at Thanksgiving at Bill's house? You're oh, yeah, that's there? the thing. It was OK. That's I'm glad you said that because it was not only was it Thanksgiving, but there was a bunch of people there. It was a small gathering, but most of the people there she didn't even know. So it was a yeah, surprise she she was wedding. Like, surprise. And uh, it sounds like the only people that she knew there were were Bill and his wife. And then because I told my cat story in the beginning, please, we have to talk about the ring story. Well, yes, we have to talk about that right now. OK, yes. so. OK, so she's like, I'm getting married. She asks her sister, doesn't tell her sister she's getting married, just says, can I have mom's engagement ring? Her mom has passed away at this point. She just wants the ring and her mom close to her at the wedding. So in the morning, they're getting ready. She had placed the ring on the nightstand at for this wedding happening the next day. At when Bill she Cosby's wakes house. Up, <laughs> at Bill Cosby's house in, <laughs> in one of their beds. So they're staying in a room, places the ring on the nightstand, uh, wakes up, it is gone. It is gone. They rip the room apart. She spends almost the entire day before her wedding searching for her mom's gold engagement ring, and it is gone. Finally, it's just too late. She has to get dressed for the wedding, goes down, marries Miles. They have ripped the room apart. When she comes back upstairs, the bed is perfectly and pristinely made. 
It's just it, it totally put together, totally put back together. The gold engagement ring is sitting on the pillow. And she says, it I my mom would not be a part of this wedding. She that was her from beyond the grave saying, I will not bless this marriage. My ring will not be a part of it. And I don't think you should be marrying him. Yes, she knew that her mom would not approve because again, her mom wanted her to end up with a a, a pastor's son. Um, and Miles was this, you know, notorious bad boy. And so Cicely believes with every fiber of her being that it was her mom who moved the ring. And look, who am I to doubt it? I'm not doubting it. You know what? <laughs> if your ghost mom moves her engagement ring and makes the bed, I'm not questioning that. I know, there's a part of me that's like, it's Bill Cosby's house. Like, of course he had like housekeepers there, right? Like, is well, there course, a reality yeah. where you had a housekeeper who like made the bed and happened to find the ring? Not in Sicily's world, and that's where we're living, honey. And we're living in Sicily's world. Also, maybe her mom was like, the ghost mom was like, go make that bed and put that ring back. Yeah, she you was know like, what I mean? bitch, like, not only are you marrying this guy, but you didn't make your bed. I raised you better than that, honey. I raised you better. <laughs> and also, you know, listen, I, uh, oh, it's another podcast, but I have had a few psychic events in my life that I just can't deny. I just can't deny. Yeah. Now, do I want to speak to a psychic? Do I take part in that anymore? No, I don't. However, did those events happen? Did I witness them? Do I think they're real? Yes, I do, you guys. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So to get through the rest of the book. So then Miles is like, I'm finally going to make you proud. You are the reason I am alive. I will be good to you till the day I die. He immediately cheats on her. Now, he not only cheats on her, he cheats on her in her an apartment building she bought, did not tell him about for two years, which by the way, that that's a lot of, I was like, wait, what's going on in this marriage? But whatever, she's, she's a building secret from him. She said a woman should always have a place to like, just like her mom kept the spare cash under the mattress, like a woman should always have money that the man doesn't know about and her own place that she can go to. Fully believe in both of those, love both of those. The yeah. part that I was like, wait, what? Is that he somehow didn't know she was going to her own apartment for two years and didn't yeah. know it existed. That's yeah. where I was like, wait, how is this working? but whatever blessings so he finds out of it the apartment loves to stay there the woman he cheats with doesn't live in his building she, she lives in sicily's building and the part where she really i just loved her how candid she was is that this is a white woman and yep. it really bothers her because and apparently Miles, he cheated with a lot of white women yeah and that's what she says in the book of like he hated white people didn't like her apartment building because it was in a white neighborhood and 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 look down on her for it, but then cheats uh, cheats with a white woman in the building. Best part of the story, she runs into this woman and the woman smiles at her and she says, what are you smiling at? And the woman says, I'm just being nice. And you guys, Cicely beats her ass. Now, Full I love it for multiple from reasons. <laughs> Full circle. That's why I love it. She literally loves lives out her mom's story again to Cicely is tiny. The fact that she was like, do not be, because she wasn't like, you're cheating on my husband. She was like, do not be cheating on my husband and smiling at me in my own lobby like I'm a moron. I loved it. And I hated that woman. And um, Oh yeah, that woman I, sucks. I can't, I'm, this, I can't I'm still say bummed her full Davis, name wasn't in the book. This woman sucks, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Just, oh, just so shitty. So then she puts up with it for a long time. He cheats on her and they stay together for a long time, even to the point where she just stops sleeping with him. She later says he has herpes and she was lucky he didn't give it to her because when he was cheating, she said they used protection. But it just made me so sad for her. She goes back and marries him. He does the same fucking thing again. Of Can't course. even 
I'm sorry, but can't even in his old age, like, okay, you're young, you want to cheat, whatever. Now it's like, dude, you were almost dead because of her. Like, you can't just not, you can't just not. He says on his wedding day during their vows, he says, you saved my life. I think he did stop cheating with a white woman for a while. And then there was that whole experience where he started, because as he got better, he started doing drugs again. And he was high with with the mistress. And she just kind of dumped him off at the apartment in uh, at the door and so Cicely opens the door and Miles is like overdosing or just in a in a really bad place but the woman's well, the woman was also married and the husband believed that they were working on a project together an art project an art she was project. teaching him how to paint finger painting <laughs> together or whatever and and Cicely said something that was like letting him know without letting him know but in a very um pointed in a in a very pointed way, but yeah, my God, dude, yes, yeah, shit, seriously, man. he dude. put her through it, and it, it really made me sad. She looks upon their relationship with love. She's happy. She oh, says, and that he she's was known so love jealous. In her life. Sorry, oh, and he, it, of it, course, it, 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 he was a jealous dick. And there's like a picture of her and Marlon Brando. Someone takes on the on on set, and he's like, "Who the? How dare he hug you or whatever?" And she's he like, "You're it currently up. cheated on me." Yeah, he ripped it up. Cool. Um, okay, so there's so much we have to skip. It, it, there's so much in this book, but. Um, she has a great chapter about how Jane Fonda is a really cool, nice, incredible woman, which I just love because I love Jane Fonda. I love her book. And historically throughout time, everyone has been like Jane Fonda rides. She's a good woman. She writes for the cause. She's always been kind and great. And uh, T-Mom Z, my mom, is coming on to be the guest on the Jane Fonda book. Jane Fonda's book is one of the very first memoirs I read. So seeing her in Cicely's book, I was like, yes, <laughs> I'm so glad she's like actually good. And is that really your mom's Instagram handle? Because you said that on the pod, on the one with Akila, and oh, I was like, T-Mom Z? Is that your real mom? Absolutely not. That's my real mom, but um, I call her T-Mom Z. She doesn't call oh. herself that. Oh, okay, okay. Because I was like, oh my God, Chelsea's mom is like this whole internet figure that I didn't even realize. <laughs> oh my God, she should become T-Mom Z. No, absolutely not. She She's literally just DMing me her thoughts, and then I'm posting them saying they're from T-Mom Z, which is what I call her because she has all the gossip and paparazzi of other eras that I didn't live through. This is so cute. I love that. Also, I used to call it Mom TMZ until Sierra, the guest on the the Demi episode, was like, why are you not doing T-Mom Z? This is ridiculous. She punched it up for me and she said, have it, take it. And I said, thank you. Such a good punch up. Yeah, by the way, uh, I should try and make that account before this episode drops. See if we we can get my mom an Instagram following. Yes. Um, Okay, so... Uh, yes. Okay. So Sicily is also why Oprah's living legends weekend exists at all. Mm -hmm. Oprah wanted to have Sicily over for lunch and thought, you know what? If Sicily's coming, why not some other phenomenal black women then creates the living legends weekend, which is a yearly annual event of like all these incredible black women. Of course, Sicily had a part in it. Then also at some point, Sicily has become a vegan. She went to a retreat. She ate all green. She loved it and then becomes so so strident in her veganism that she has a part in the book where she says she buys lychee nuts as desserts, as treats. I'm having flashbacks to Kelly Clarkson being like, I I have frozen grapes for dessert, but whatever. <laughs> so she has lychee nuts as a treat. And in the book she writes, but sometimes I'll go to grab one and I'll say, quote, not today, Suze, <laughs> about her lychee nut. Like, <laughs> not a lychee nut today. I've been extravagant with uh, carrots already or whatever um yeah and she, she lives to be 96 and does a broadway play eight shows a week for a year when she's like 
80, 89 or something. I mean, it was incredible. It made me want to go vegan. And she, not only is she vegan, but she's the type of vegan that's, yeah, juicing three times a day. She wakes up in the morning, she has a juice. She purees she her oatmeal and her Vitamix. Yes. Like she, yeah, she says, th- that was a weird thing. She likes her oatmeal in like liquid form, kind of. I was like, yes. I guess I'll try that. I don't know. I she's really given her digestive organs a break. Like no- nothing mm. has to be broken down because everything goes into her body blended. And she and she didn't go into this what the retreat or whatever it was like thinking that she was going to be vegan. It just ended up being how they ate at this. And she was like, I felt so much better. So that's also like my plug for veganism because that's how I felt too. <laughs> yeah, and I um, I don't treat my body that good enough to even know a difference. I'm only vegetarian because I thought it was better for the planet. And now I now I don't like meat. But uh, it was an accident. Also because one of my first TV writing jobs was on John Stewart's farm with. Um, with sanctuary animals. And I met all these animals who had been rescued from factories. And, and I just, I just never ate meat. It just kind of left my body. I had purposefully been avoiding the vegan documentaries being like, you're not going to get me. I, (laughs) I, you're not going to get me. And then I met these farm animals and it got me. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Her career, she is the first black woman to earn an Emmy to win an Emmy, to and not only that, she wins two of them. She has a Tony. She gets an honorary Oscar. She's the lead in Jane Pittman's Sounder Roots and one of my favorite movies of all time, Fried Green Tomatoes, which yes. she plays another domestic. And, uh, you know, a case could be made for that movie to not hold up anymore, but I saw it when I was a kid and it just had two strong women um, beating an abusive man's ass and then Cicely delivers the closing line um, after she murders him. So I just love that movie. Sorry, I'm not giving you a spoiler alert. It came out in the 80s. If you haven't seen it, it's on you. you I know, I was like, I haven't it. seen it. Wait, so is Cicely an EGOT? I, I was trying to figure out if she was an EGOT, but she doesn't have a Grammy. Yeah, she's not an EGOT, but she's an almost EGOT. And Obama not only honors her in his presidency, but he gives the award. She's the last person to ever get his honorary medal before he leaves office. Yes, yeah, so Tyson, cool. Which is so cool. Okay, and so then I... I really want to read this page that took me by surprise. Okay. It's it's towards the end of the book. We're coming to a close. She says, a black woman needs at least three things. The first is a quiet spot on her own, a place away from the nonsense. The second is a stash of money, like the cash my mother kept hidden in the slit of her mattress. The last is several drops of cayenne pepper, always at the ready. Sprinkle that on your food before you eat it, and it'll kill any lurking bacteria. The powder does the trick well, but I prefer the liquid because it hits the bloodstream quickly. Particularly when I'm eating out, I won't touch a morsel to my lips until it's speckled with cayenne. I was like, the place away. Got it. The money. Yes. (laughs) Cayenne pepper in your purse at all times to kill bacteria on your food. And wait, um, does she say that part is for black women? Because it's also like, yes. wait, isn't that good for like all women? Like it's just so funny. Yeah, but I think she's just specific. I don't know. Yeah, I will say this. I, oh God. So, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of uh, um, food eating weight problems. And when I was a teenager, I found out that cayenne pepper speeds up your metabolism. So I got like some bottle of cayenne pepper pills and was just popping that shit. Oh my gosh. And I mean, also I was on some diet or whatever I was on. One time I threw back two cayenne pepper pills because I think I had like binged through a pint of ice cream. And I was like, I know I'll just like take a bunch of cayenne pepper pills to lose weight or whatever. (laughs) In the middle of the night, I remember waking up. My body was on fire. I went running through the house and I pulled open the slider door to the yard 
and passed out. I no. couldn't even get the door open. Yeah, and I just hit the floor. So and did I remember your skin my mom feel hot? Like what was on fire? Everything. It, my insides, my guts, my eyes, my my body. Yeah, I just it just I I was revved up so fast. I'm sure if my mom listens to this podcast, she'll call me and tell me what actually happens when you take cayenne like that because she's very smart. But yeah, I was just like, I want to be thin, and then um, lost it. So that said, when I read this, I was like, should I carry around a bottle of cayenne pepper again? No, <laughs> should I, I do think it? We can we we can let that no. Sicily will be fine with us if we don't do that one. Okay, we but we should all do the first two. If I we carry can. nutritional yeast with me and put it on food, so I guess I, I'll put okay, that in my memoir okay. one day. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, so we had to skip a lot. The it, the book has so much in it; it's so great. But we're at the last page. Oh, this is my favorite part. This is my favorite okay. favorite part. Do you want to read it? Okay, I'll read it. I'll read it. You're talking about the part that she dedicates to black women. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yes. My favorite part of this book that I just love so much was that she ends the book talking to black women. She says, sit down here and let me talk to you just us, specifically for black women. So as a black woman, this made me feel so seen and held and taken care of. And I love that she did this for us. And even though some of it is very much like, why are you guys saying this in your rap music and let's not call each other these words <laughs> and and whatever, some of that kind of Bill Cosby stuff that we talked about. She also talked about the legacy of trauma and how that lives in our DNA and our bodies and how that can manifest itself and continue to p- proliferate with us calling each other these words and stuff. And so I just think there's so much to be said for epigenetics and generational trauma and how those things manifest as self-injury, as she described it. Um, and I thought it was really profound that she mentioned this stuff because it is really important. And so now I will read the last page. Do you want me to start from more than anything or here in my uh, twilight years? Wherever, wherever you want, because it's also good. Okay, okay. I'll start from more than anything. More than anything, I pray that you can carve out a purpose for yourself, a calling beyond your own survival, a sweet offering to the world. You gain a life by giving yours away. Not everyone is meant to raise a picket sign, and yet each of us can choose a path of impact. Rearing your children with affection and warmth is a form of activism. Honoring your word impeccably is a way to raise your voice. Performing your job with excellence, with your chin high and your standards higher, is a power, is as powerful as any protest march. Sewing into the lives of young people is a worthy crusade. That is what it means to leave this world of ours more lit up than when we found it. It's also what it means to lead a magnificent life, even if an unlikely one. The Father has a way of choosing the flawed to attempt what many deem improbable. My journey upon the stage and every moment in between is a testimony to the mystery in God's choosing. Here in my twilight years, as my Christmas tree towers and glistens, folks are always asking me what legacy I want to leave, what roots beneath my soil I most hope will outlive me. I want to go home knowing that I loved generously, even if imperfectly. I want to feel as if I embodied our humanity so fully that it made us laugh and weep, that it reminded us of our shared frailties. I want to be recalled as one who squared my shoulders in the service of Black women, as one who made us walk taller and envision greater for ourselves. I want to know that I did the very best that I could with what God gave me, just as I am. Oh, 
Do you think they'll hire me to uh, to narrate the audio book? Because, honey, that felt good. I say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you. That that was, yeah, God, it's it's so beautiful how it ends. And she gives so much in her book and including in that last chapter. I love the books, the memoirs that reach out a hand to the reader where it's not just here's my life, blah, blah, blah. It is I am reaching out a hand to you so that you can continue on better in your own life. And her book hugely does that especially for black women, which is so cool to see. Yeah, raising r- raising people up, lifting us, empowering us, motivating, inspiring. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So we end every podcast with a thank you to the author. Um, I will go first. Two thank yous come to mind. One, she forgets a lot of people's names in the book and um and like projects or names of things. And I loved it because the ghostwriter, someone um, could have gone and found these details. But instead, this is a 96-year-old woman giving us what she took away from it. So she would say, here's what this person meant to me, did for me. And I can't remember their name, but like so much love to them. And then other times she'd be like, I didn't even, I don't even know if I was in that movie. Someone said I was in that movie. I guess I was. I just, it, it just really made me laugh throughout the book. And I loved again, just as I am. And then my true, true thank you is that the book has so many lessons in it and so much, so many offers. And one of them really stuck out with me. So I'm going to read this quote as my thank you because it hit me hard. She said, healing as I see it, is not the absence of pain. Rather, it is a gradual reduction in the ache. The mm. lessening of that hurt eventually makes room for fond memories to surface. And that will stay with me forever and bring me light when it healing feels impossible. Mm, so beautiful. Snaps, snaps, snaps. Snaps, <laughs> snaps, snaps, snaps. Right in that microphone, yes. Um, okay, so now it's my turn to thank her. Yes. yes. I love this, by the way. What a beautiful ritual to close it out. Um, I want to thank Cicely Tyson for being like such a powerful, vulnerable, gentle, inspiring black woman who paved the way quite literally for me to exist, not only in my career and my business, but also as a Black woman who has worn my hair natural my entire life, um, my entire career, um, and just how hard that was for me in this business called Hollywood. And to know that Cicely did it, you know, because, you know, she did it, so can I. and there were so many stories. There, I, This is also just a plug to buy the book because there were so many stories that we didn't get to talk about today. Um, but she made me feel seen and validated and not alone in some of the other stories that she shared. And just her love and strength for herself as a Black woman, I felt galvanized my own self-worth and my own just seeing of myself like I could I could look even deeper into my own eyes when I looked in the mirror after reading this book okay I'm weeping over here (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh my god that is I just want to say that is why I, I love these books and also starting this podcast when someone else's story helps you see yourself more clearly like what a gift I get a cry yeah. <laughs> really beautiful just um, really, really so beautiful, beautiful really beautiful book um 
Haley, thank you so much for coming on. It was true. Haley was, um, ha- we, had, we were going to do a different book together and it's just so fate that this book happened instead. You were just so perfect for this. So many, the dreams, the visions, I mean, everything. Well, so thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. And I just want to give a shout out to you because I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. I remember when this podcast was just a germ of an idea. It was a fun thing you were doing on Instagram. I followed along. It raised my awareness of celebrity memoirs in a new way. Like I never, I never had, they they weren't really like on my radar. And then you started posting the Jessica Simpson one and I was so into it. It was so fun. I remember when you texted us on our group chat, like, hey, I think this could be a podcast and I've just been rooting for you every step of the way. And I'm so excited. I'm so proud of you. And it's just such an honor (laughs) to be on the podcast. Stop making me cry. I love you so much. Haley and I literally text every day, all day. We do. This is, I, I'm going to, I'm going to replay this for myself every morning. So it'll be my new, my new morning alarm. We'll um, be proud. Okay. Haley is also, be proud of you too. <laughs> Haley is also stunning, talented, divine. She's a great follow on Instagram. She's, uh, she's, she's a model. So I mean like, I mean, she's Retired. incredible. I used to be. No, no, you're still a model. You're my model. Uh, you're an Instagram model. Um, tell everyone where they can find you. So you can find me on my Insta, which is at Haley Marie Norman, H-A-Y-L-E-Y. Don't forget that first Y. Um, I'm on Twitter at XO Haley Marie. I have a TikTok that I'm just barely learning how to use um, <laughs> because it's very overwhelming. Um, every once in a while, I'll post on there. But my TikTok is also under under my name. And yeah, those are those are. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's Venmo? your Venmo? <laughs> You know, I, I I will actually look it up right now. I think it's, let's see if my recording will still go. Okay. Yeah. Send me, send me those Venmos. Let's go full circle here. Okay. I'll, I'll give you my Venmo and my cash app. Okay. My Venmo name cash is. Cash app. Oh my God. <laughs> I think cash app is what people are doing these days. Yeah. I it's think just Haley, Haley dash Norman, honey. Okay. Send me those, send me that, those white tier cash dollars, honey. I'll take them. <laughs> The dollar bills can be wet with tears and they'll still work at the grocery store. (laughs) Thank you so much. I adore you. I love you. And everyone, we will see you next week. I just love talking to Haley. She truly is swelligant, which is a word that Cicely did not make up. um, And it is now a an official word from Urban Dictionary, and it reminded me of how Cicely said in one chapter how she loves to watch Love and Hip Hop. Um, So maybe it came from there. I don't know, but I'm going to use it all the time now. If you guys want to see the visual story that goes with this episode, including pictures of Cicely, the amazing outfits she wore to the Emmys, pictures of Haley, go to my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes, where I will be posting a full visual story that goes with the podcast, and it's always saved in my highlights, so you can go and watch it no matter when you listen. Also, if you want even more Celebrity Book Club in your life, there is a Facebook group. It's Celebrity Book Club Podcast, and it is quickly turned into one of my favorite things. And after each episode, I think starting with this one, I'm going to start hosting a little bit of a a talk back. Gosh, that sounds dorky. But a place for us to, like, discuss all our thoughts about the book, like a a postmortem. Will it be cool? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. And... 
thank you for all of your reviews. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for downloading all of the things that help the podcast out. I could not make this podcast without our amazing production team here at Stitcher, executive producer Daisy Rosario, producer Brandon Nix, and associate producer Corinne Wallace. If you want to listen to an ad-free episode of Celebrity Book Club, you can only do that on stitcherpremium.com. And if you want a free month, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code books. I hope everyone is having a great week and I will see you on the Facebook group.